Reading Romans 13, the entire chapter. It's, it's, it's not too long. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. Besides this, you know the time, that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand, so then let us cast off the works of darkness, put on the armor of light, let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling or jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. The reading of the word, you may be seated. And one of the, the amazing things I talked about with the the day that really beg- kicked off the Reformation with Martin Luther, he posted this because he saw some things in, in his church that needed to be corrected, specifically the selling of indulgences, indulgences to get people out of purgatory. And he saw it for what it was. It, it was a system to enrich the the uh, the city of Rome so they could rebuild their churches and, and thing, things like that. He really had no intention of kicking off what we would call the Reformation, he, he had no idea how far his actions were to be. But he had two students who were a bit rebels, so they took his, his paper down, and there was a new invention at the time called the printing press. And he, they used that printing press and made copies after copies and sent it all throughout Germany. And before long, Martin Luther was much more than just a professor and a, and a priest. He, he was a national hero. And people de- read these things and demanded that you know, people stop giving in to Rome and start standing up for what is right. And today, I, I know as I said earlier, there's, there's much going on in our world right now, but especially in our country, there's something that's, I know on many people's minds, and I, I see it here and I see it at work, many people are anxious for that, that thing on November 8th called the election. People are very nervous about what it's going to mean and what, what, what it will mean for the church specifically. But I want us to, to remember a few things that, that Christ tells us. And First of all, in Matthew, he says, Do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. we got enough trouble to worry about today. We don't need to worry about November 8th and what follows for the next four years. We need to be focusing on God's mission here, and God's mission in this community, and all across the world. We need to be focused and have godly priorities. We are not to be people who are so worried about who gets in. What, it, what, what, what will it mean? 
We, we need to stop being a church that goes around and a people that goes around and saying, this person is so evil. If they get in, it is the apocalypse. It's the end of the world. We, we all know, we all understand that the world will not end until Christ comes back. Amen? So if, if the person you want to get in doesn't get in, it is not the end of the world. What we need to understand what, what the Word says here is that the person that God chooses will become president of the United States. And it will be either A, for our good, or B, for our judgment. We need to understand that. We need to stop telling each other, you're not really a Christian if you vote for this person or that person. That is not biblical. You're the one in error if you're going around telling people that. I've been told that at work. And I know many people, regardless of party, that they'll be told, if you don't vote for this person, you don't really love people. That, that, that person is so evil. Yes, they are evil people because they are sinners. Like you and I are sinners. I am a sinner. I need Jesus Christ. I need his blood to save me from my sins. Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton need the blood of Jesus Christ to save them from their sins. They do not need your ridicule. They need your prayers. We, we should stand up and demand good leaders. We should. But first of all, we got to look at our own heart. Can you ask something from someone else that you're not willing to do yourself? If you want a president of integrity, you have to stand up and live a life of integrity. Jesus goes over many parables about this. Specifically, we know the parable about the, the man that has a log in his, his eye. And he, and he looks at a man with a speck in his eye. He says, let me get that speck out of your eye. He can't see that speck because he's got a log in his own eye. We need to stop being hypocrites. We, we, we need to search our souls and say, well, what is this about? You know, are, are we going to get a president who is God-honoring? You know, we spoke a little bit last week. Every single president that has come up for election, that has won, has claimed to be Christian. George Bush and Barack Obama both claim to be Christian. Abraham Lincoln and Thomas Jefferson both claim to be Christian. They have very different ideas of what it means to be Christian. But you and I, we are indeed Christians, and we need to be praying for those in this election. I want us to take a look back at Paul's world a little bit to, to understand why he writes this letter. The world of Rome, to, to who he writes, was in turmoil. There was political assassinations over and over. It was truly unimaginable. They, they reached a point in time where maybe a, an emperor would be in power for two to three years before he got assassinated. And well, what would happen, they would make laws, and, and some people would be like, well, I support this person, so I'm going to follow them. And then they get assassinated, and, and somebody else rises to power and says, they supported my enemy. I want them dead. You, you see the danger that was going on in Rome over and over. And we have a great blessing that the Roman citizens did not. You and I, on Tuesday, November 8th, we get to go and make our voice heard. You get to choose who you would like to be the next president of the United States. That was not the case in the Roman culture. You didn't get to choose. There was a man in, uh, in Rome by the name of Nero. Many, many people accused him of being the Antichrist. That's how evil he was. In, in AD 61, while Paul was awaiting trial, uh, under house arrest, Nero wanted to marry another man's wife that he greatly desired, so he falsely accused his wife, Octavia, of having an affair and an abortion. Octavia was exiled, murdered, and her head severed and brought back to Rome and put on a pike. 
That was their leader. That was their president, if you will. In 64, we see Nero's debauchery is escalated. A few days after a banquet, complete with lakeside brothels and prostitutes, attracting attention to unspeakable ways, Nero donned a bridal veil and publicly wed as a man, as people saw witnesses in the ceremony, the wedding dowry, the couch, and the nuptial torches. Everything was plainly visible, was known all through Rome. What you had was the president of Rome, if you will, have a same-sex marriage in front of everyone. The entire country saw it, and they could do nothing about it. Soon after Nero's homosexual wedding, Rome is engulfed in flames. In an attempt to deflect the accusations that he caused the fire, he blamed the Christians. And so he repeatedly would torture, mock, and have them murdered. Some were covered with animal skins and ripped apart by dogs. Some were crucified. Others were mounted on poles in Nero's garden and set on fire to light the night. They were literally used as streetlights. Nero specifically tar- targeted Christians and wanted them to suffer as much of the extreme penalty as their so- so-called Lord Jesus Christ did. When we go vote on November 8th, understand that the candidates we have, you may not like, but they are not Nero. They are not going to be taking you out of your homes and setting you on fire so that there can be light in the streets. That is the face of true evil. So I I want us to, to understand what we're facing as a country and understand as Christians, it has been far worse. And we, we need to be in prayer for our leaders while we're still allowed to pray. I am sure the Church of Rome would have gladly traded any of our candidates for Nero. Any of them. Now, now back in Jerusalem, we, we had a two-party uh, system similar to our own. We had the Sadducees. The, these would be uh, similar to what we would call conservatives today. They, they were the old-school believers who, who would only take the Torah, the five books that Moses wrote, the, the books of the law, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. If, if anything you brought to them was outside of that, they would say it, it's not allowed. They would acknowledge that God sent prophets, but they would not acknowledge that the, what the prophets wrote were, were authoritative as Scripture. Similar, we have situations in our country where we talk about the Constitution. And there are many conservatives in, in that line that talk about the Constitution and say, if it's not in the Constitution, I don't want to talk about it. We, we, we understand we could identify with that political struggle. And then there was this group called the Pharisees. The Pharisees were a, uh, a much more lay, lay group. They, they, they weren't part of the political enterprise in Jerusalem. They, they were much more uh, liberal in their tradition. They would allow the tradition of the elders. They would take that just as authoritative as the Word of God. And it, and it caused many, many issues for, for the people when these two groups would fight together. And I want to draw our attention to the fact that Jesus was neither a Pharisee or a Sadducee. So when we go to our voting booth, I don't want us to beat each other up by our political parties. Jesus would not be Republican or Democrat. Jesus is not a conservative. He's not a liberal. He's a radical. He was radically opposed to, to the sinful actions in their lives. And if Jesus was standing on this earth now, he would be radically opposed to the sinfulness of the candidates, the sinfulness of the church, the sinfulness of America. Let's not get that wrong. We, we have to get it right ourselves before we can expect others to get it right. Making laws is not going to change people's hearts. 
You can make all the laws you want in this land. It will not stop people from sinning. God's word says that people, that our hearts are evil from the day of our birth. We look for ways to, to, to derive evil. And the reality is we can make law after law. God made laws and the people broke every single one of them. And then judgment comes. Don't think that we as a people could go about our lives sinning against God. We as a country could go on and continually to sin against God and we will not pay the price. Judgment comes to all who disobey God. The Sadducees were, were a people that they, they put their central focus on the temple. And when the temple was destroyed in AD 70, so was the, the movement of the Sadducees. The modern day Judaism you may encounter today would be what we call pharisaical Judaism. It, it is not, it, it, it is not what, what we have in the Bible. And they had a real problem because something they cherished and they treasured was gone. There may be issues specifically in this election, that whoever gets elected may destroy those, those temples that, that we have in our lives, those things that we cherish so much. I, I will tell you honestly, the, the recent actions of the Supreme Court on homosexual marriage make me grieve for this country. But we have to understand that we cannot stop doing what Christ has called us to do. This land may go and follow after people that we think are ungodly. At the, at the same time, we are still here as Christians, before we are, we are ever husbands or wives, before we are ever Americans, before we are ever citizens of our, our towns that we live in, we are Christians if we profess Christ. And we need to live our lives like it. There's three institutions that God has appointed on this earth. The first one is the home or the family, if you will. That is from the very beginning. Then it's the church. God has instituted the church, and he has given us a specific role. And God has instituted government. These things should, should not cross. You as parents are called to raise up your children in the ways of the Lord. Too often we have people that come and they bring their children to church, and I thank you for that. But we get your child for maybe an hour a week. That is not enough time to raise your child in the ways of the Lord. The expectation is on the family, the husband and the wife, to raise their children up. We can come alongside you. We can assist you. We can clearly explain the gospel to them. But you have to live it out in your home. When, when we go home today, if, if they see us coming to church and talking about Jesus, how much we love Jesus, but we get home tonight and watch my beloved Cubs lose the World Series and start cussing at the TV, they're going to see the true us. They're going to see that we are hypocrites and we don't really believe what we say. We just come together in and, and like a mob express our feelings about certain issues, but we don't live it out. If you want marriage to be honored in this country, honor your own marriage. Show your, your family how much it matters to you. Wives, you are to submit to your husbands. This is not easy to do. But I tell you, husbands, you are to love your wife like Christ loves the church. That is far harder. You know what Christ did for the church. He came down off his throne, became a human being, died on that cross, was viciously murdered and mocked and humiliated. I've talked about it many times. That, that cross is not an image of beauty. It is something that the Romans used to mock people, to, to show what happens when you get out of line. We often have these paintings that portray Jesus, Jesus being very stoic upon the cross. But I understand Jesus was in agonizing pain 
He was naked on that cross, dying for his bride. That is you. Husbands, you are to love your wives as Christ loves the church. You can't blame the church if you fail in that. You can't blame your government if you fail in that. The fact that our government now allows same-sex marriage does not negate your responsibilities as a husband or a wife. We are to raise our family up in godly ways. The church is to stand out and call sin, sin. We are to proclaim the gospel to the ends of the earth. To be seeking after God's kingdom always, regardless of what the government tells us. If the government tells us that you can no longer preach, that church is canceled forever, we are to still go about God's work. The government is put there by God as ministers to bear the sword, it says. This is talking about bringing justice. When, when people are breaking laws, when people are murdering, it is up to the government to arrest and to punish according to the laws of the land. When people invade us in wars, that is the government's responsibility. If people invade the United States of America, it is not up to the church and the family to go and attack that country. It's up to the government. We need to understand that God has set all three of these up and we are to honor all three of these. Because this is what God has ordained. To badmouth our president or the next president is a form of gossip. Understand it clearly. When you badmouth President Obama, whoever next president will be, you are badmouthing the person that has been appointed there by God. I want you to think back to King David. King David was anointed to be the next king of Israel, the second king ever in Israel. The problem was King Saul was still king and did not like David very much at all. He hunted him down and repeatedly tried to kill David. And there came a moment where Saul let his guard down and he fell asleep in his encampment and David snuck in. He had Saul in his hands. He could have killed him and became king that very night. What did David do? He cuts a small piece of the hem off of Saul's, Saul's tunic and leaves it there. And he lets, lets him know how close he came. But he would not touch God's anointed. On the very last day of Saul's life, Saul is killed in battle along with his sons. So, so what happens? Immediately a messenger is sent to David because the people, he had many supporters and people wanted him to be king and they knew he had been anointed by the prophet Samuel to be the next king of Israel. And there's a man that, that comes to him and he says, David, King Saul has been killed in battle. Now you get to be king. How does David react to this news? Is he celebrating? Is he, is he planning the, the first 30 days in office what he will do? No, this is David's response. David answered Rechab and Bena, his brother, the sons of Rimon the Berothite, As the Lord lives, who has redeemed my life out of every adversity, when one told me, Behold, Saul is dead, and thought he was bringing me good news, I seized him and killed him at Ziklag, which was the reward I gave him for his news. David did not take lightly the killing of God's anointed. He did not take lightly that people rejoicing that God's anointed had been put to death. We should not rejoice when people mock our president because he has been put there by God. The next president will not get in without God's knowledge and permission. It's not going to catch God off guard. He's not sitting up on his throne like, whoa, I didn't think America was going to go that far. It's not catching him off guard. God is in firmly in control. Now you guys that know your scriptures and know it well, you know how this thing ends. It's going to get a lot worse. And if you think every country is going to have godly leaders and it's going to get worse, you're wrong. 
Godly leaders don't make things worse, they make it better. Ungodly leaders make things worse. So do not be surprised when things go bad. But God tells us to rejoice when we see these things because our salvation is at hand. It's very near. He tells us to look up to the sky. What are we looking for? We are looking for the return of Christ, our true King, the King of the world. He will reign forever and forever. So we are to be a godly people. When we, when we choose candidates, we, we need to make sure that what we expect out of them, that we are expecting out of ourselves and out of our own leaders and our families and our churches. Tell you the truth, I cannot vote for any person that wants to be president if they would not meet the qualifications of being a deacon in a church. I've told you many times before, and legally I'm not allowed to, to support one candidate over the other, but in fact I don't support either of them. I support Jesus Christ, and that's who my vote will be for. Because until they give us a candidate, and this is what is wrong with the American church, we, we have allowed and given in to people. We have compromised over and over and said, well, we'll take this person because they feel about this way when they're not living a godly life. We need to have character and integrity. We need to be a church that stands up and says, if you want us to vote for you, you need to be a godly man. You need to stand up and, and show us that you are sincere. Not just quote some ran, random verses. You need to live it out. We, 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 we have history of their lives, how they've lived it out. And you be the judge whether or not they are, they are godly people. Now, many of you have asked me, what does the Bible say about voting? And we're in a unique time in democracy. There's not, there's not too many periods in time where people got the chance to vote, but I'm going to go over some of those scriptures for you. From 2 Samuel 23, The God of Israel has spoken, the rock of Israel has said to me, When one rules justly over men, ruling in the fear of God. Our rulers are to fear God, to have that holy, reverent, awe-inspiring respect for God. If they do not, they are not qualified. Exodus 18.21 Moreover, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe, and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. We are to seek out candidates who again fear God, who have an integrity and are untrustworthy. A person who hates a bribe, who cannot be bought, their decision will not be based on how much a donation is, but on what they feel on the inside, how they feel God wants them to live, live it out. Deuteronomy 1.13, Choose for your tribes wise, understanding, and experienced men, and I will appoint them as your heads. We are to ex- seek experienced candidates who are wise and understanding. We are not just to, to elect someone that has no experience and say, well, you know, they, they have good intentions, we'll, we'll hope for the best. Well, that's not going to give you good results. 2 Timothy 3, 1-5, through 5, But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. Our candidate must not be one who thinks they are above us, not one who is controlled and ruled by money. They must be People who are not prideful, arrogant, and abusive. They must respect their parents and the elderly. 
They should be grateful. They should desire to live a holy life. When they fail, they should seek repentance. They should be compassionate, controlled, truthful, above all else, desiring to please God. We need to see somebody who is a genuine follower of Christ, who desires to please God. From Romans 16, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them, for such persons do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own appetites, and by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. For your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you. But I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Finally, we see the requirement to have a candidate, be one who does not cause division but unites. When, when we, you see people call, labeling each other, we ask, and it especially bothers me in the church that we have a conservative church, we have a liberal church, we have an evangelical church, and we have a mainline church. And even in, in within those, we, we have divisions over and over and over again. There is no division in the body of Christ. Christ has one bride. We need to remember that. We need to seek unity. And anybody who would desire to be our president should be a person seeking unity. We need to do what the scriptures say. You know, we know what the Bible says. And I've instructed you on these verses. We need to commit to ourselves and pray to God that he would appoint as our next president that whoever it is, that we pray for them earnestly. I want our prayer to be for the next president, that they be genuinely a reborn, a born-again Christian, a person who, who has been come alive from the inside. Their heart has been changed, and their life will never be the same. I expect it out of my deacons. I expect it out of all those who profess Christ. And I expect it out of our leaders whether politically, here in the church, in our homes, we should expect that. We need to understand that the way we live our lives, there's a line in your life. We often will say what we believe, but it comes to our actions. It really shows us what we believe. If a person says they believe in the Word of God, they believe it is holy and upright, but then cheats on his wife, they don't believe the Word of God. And then they've showed you what they think is okay. They think it's okay to cheat on your wife. And so as a church, we need to stand up and we need to put the line in the sand and say, this is what we say is okay, the things that are in the Word of God. If you cross this line, you cannot have our vote. We need to be a people that stand up and live it out. How you live your life, that is the minimum requirement you're telling people to get your vote. And the people will only ever give you just enough to get your vote. Once they have your vote, they'll move on to the next group of people. I want us to consider how many Christians there are in this country and what would happen if they actually united. No president could come in and divide us. No one could say this or that. No political party would be able to stand. It would be a Christ-centered country once again. But we have allowed ourselves to get divided. Now, there's, there's almost 15 million Southern Baptists in this country. 15 million would change on every single election. But we allow ourselves to be divided. If you took the Baptists, just the Baptists as a whole, you're approaching 40 million in this country. That's almost a third of the amount of people that will vote on Tuesday. That, that, that is a, a lot that we could come together and unite. But we have to desire to unite. Because at the end of the day, 
the person that, that becomes the president will be the leader that we deserve, not the leader that we need. And we need to understand that God will appoint this leader either for, for the good of the country or for its judgment. And we need to, to be seeking God in prayer on who he desires to be the next president and vote for that person. It starts with us as the church. First Peter declares, For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? At the end of the day, when judgment comes by God, it will not start out with the, the, the sinful politicians. It will start with the church. We, we are to stand up and declare and, and live out our faith. You, you get the great honor of voting for who you want to be the next president. But I tell you with your life, vote every single day who is the Lord of your life. Is it Jesus Christ? Is He truly the King of all kings in your life? Does He matter to you more than anything else in this world? Does He matter that much? Or is He just the guy that matters on Sunday morning from 10 a.m. to 12.30? And Satan is really the king of your life. How we live our lives out will show the world who really is king. And when we show the world that Jesus is king, they will see we cannot be bought, we will not compromise. There's nothing they can do to entice us away from the one alone who is God. The one alone who has died for our sins. The next president can't save you. Hillary Clinton, Donald Trump, Johnson, Bernie Sanders, all the people that have run, they can't save you from their sins. Some of them have really good ideas. Some of them have scary ideas. At the end of the day, Jesus Christ is Lord. And every knee will have to bow. We can choose to bow willingly. Or we will be forced to bow. But make no mistake, there is no one above Christ. Even the President of the great United States is under the rule of Christ. The Scriptures here tell us it is time to wake up. What is Paul saying here? He says, Do you not know that you have been woken up by the Gospel of Jesus Christ? And that Christ is coming again. You have a mission and you have a purpose. It is like this. When Christ woke us up, we didn't realize it, but we're, we're in this really nice hotel we called Earth. And we woke up and we smelt something. It's not the ham next door. We smelt something. We go out in the hallway and realize this place is on fire. Now we have an option. We could go about the rest of our lives, go lay back down and hope it doesn't burn us up. It will. Or we could start to warn people on the way out and say, this place is on fire. We need to get out. We need to turn to Christ now. Because the president, no matter how good the president may end up being, or how evil they may end up being, the hotel is still burning down. This is not now time to, to take our complaints about the hotel manager up to the front counter and say, my pillows weren't fluffed enough. Because at the end of the day, it's not going to matter. You're going to burn. Every person who does not know Jesus Christ will burn. We often sing that, that song, Soul on Fire. Our souls can be on fire spiritually for God, or they'll be on fire eternally in hell. And this is the mission of the church, to stand up and declare the gospel of Jesus Christ. Are we going to do it? Or have we been awoken and we've fallen back asleep? And we realize, yes, the hallway's on fire, but it's a big hotel. Somebody will call the fire department. If the church does not stand up and do this, 
No one will. The government's not going to tell people about Jesus Christ. The government doesn't want us telling people about Jesus Christ. The government wants you dependent on them. Because when you're dependent on them, you're not going to rebel against them. The reality is it's our mission. Nobody else is going to raise our kids in a godly way. It's us as parents and grandparents and aunts and uncles. Nobody else is going, going to do the mission of the church except for the church. And there's great news, church. Paul, Paul says this because Christ is the day that Christ is getting down from that throne is fast approaching. And that's why we need to be doing about that mission. A day will come very soon, and some of us will still be sleeping, and Christ will return, and our loved ones will be gone. Our friends will be gone in hell forever. Do you want that to be you? Do you want that to be your loved ones? Then wake up and do what Christ has told you to do. You don't need me to tell you every single week. You know what God has told you to do. Every one of us should have a Bible. If you don't, I'll get you two this afternoon. We all have a Bible. We know what it says. The question is, are we going to do it? Are we going to compromise and, and go about our lives and Yes, thank God that I've been saved. I'll come to church every Sunday and I'll worship, but I'm going to live like I've always lived. I'm not going to tell anyone about Jesus. I don't care that the hotel's about to burn down. We're all about to die. Because that makes me uncomfortable. It's not easy knocking on someone's door at 2, 2 a.m. saying the hotel's on fire. You better get out. That's in effect what you're doing. You're, you've got an unpopular message. You have to go and tell people they're sinful that they've broken the commands of God and that they, they don't repent and place their faith in Jesus Christ, hell awaits. Regardless how good or bad our next president is, they are an eternity better than hell. We need to understand that and remember that. So I'm going to call Brother Mike on up now, but I want you to think about, have, have you been awoken? Are you awake now seeking after God? Or are you still sleeping? Are you still looking for the world for your answers? Because the world can't provide your answers. We've been through 44 presidents now, and they still haven't fixed the country. The next one's not going to. Jesus and Jesus alone can. Please pray with me. Abba Father, Lord Jesus, I thank you for this day. I thank you for everyone gathered here, Lord, and thank you for the privilege of worshiping you. I thank you for their generosity with the meal, Lord, and I pray for the time of fellowship. I pray, Lord, that, that our hearts be convicted where we fall short and where we may lack integrity, where we may have compromised your holy word. May, may we stand up and proclaim it in truth, in conviction, Lord. I pray for our president now and who you will appoint as our next president, Lord, that, that they would be a godly person seeking after you. And that if they don't know you now, Lord, that you would you'd bring people in their life that would speak the, the truth plainly and that they would repent and turn back to you, God. And that you'd use them to bring reformation to this country. An awakening, Lord. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.